Hey folks, welcome to the Music of the Spheres podcast. We are broadcasting tonight from somewhere deep in the hills of upstate New York. Wherever, whenever, and however you're listening, we thank you for being a part of our universe. We are two brothers, bivocational ministers, seekers of truth, and drinkers of yellow beer, and we welcome you to this episode number 52 of the Music of the Spheres podcast. And uh, I do believe this is our Christmas episode for it is yeah. for this year. It's going to drop uh, like you know a couple days, three four days before Christmas, I think, uh, depending on when you download it, <laughs> of course. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe you've already had Christmas. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I hope it was nice, and yeah. you had you know your Christmas gift that keeps on giving is this podcast. <laughs> Look at us, We're still making your spirits bright. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's exciting. Almost to almost to the end of the year, we'll have one more episode that will come out before the end of 2023. And uh yeah. Then on to a new year. Exciting things for the podcast. Yeah. You know, how how different really is December 31st and January 1st? Usually not very right. weather-wise and yeah, daylight-wise and sometimes work-wise right but um it's a whole new like i said redo <laughs> if 2023 was terrible yeah. then it's a brand new start yeah 2023 was awesome then it's a yeah uh continuation Keep the momentum going yeah yeah that's great it can be whatever you want it to be yeah yeah uh indeed and uh, a lot of people start their new year off with a massive headache <laughs> yep which yeah. happens sometimes so. yep a lot of uh um ibuprofen or uh <laughs> pepto in their system yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> electrolytes and looking yeah. for as much yeah as chocolate possible. milk uh <laughs> mac and cheese whatever it is whatever soaks up whatever they had this my traditional uh january 1st breakfast actually <laughs> mac and cheese chocolate milk yeah. and electrolytes i just have yeah like you know 3,000 calories, all dairy. <laughs> and <laughs> you just, you just raid the fridge and bust out the leftover cheese board from the night before. Yeah, right. Is that right. what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not time to talk about that yet. Uh, we're yet. still making no. spirits bright. Um, uh, so, yeah. so Merry Christmas to everybody, uh, or Merry, whatever you celebrate. So, uh, mm-hmm. tis the season for lots of celebrations. So, those are uh, always wonderful times, regardless of, of what your traditions are. So certainly, merry Merry Christmas or merry anything else too. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, any science uh, update for us tonight, Jason? Well, anything like that? I found this thing um, again on Earthwise. Yeah, and you were able to get it on there. You well, I had things that. preloaded. Oh, okay, all right. Um, so they're like there. Yeah, I have like three tabs. Um, and they're all like loaded and I can scroll. I just, nice. if I were to X out of them, I would never get them back <laughs> <laughs> until I get on the Wi-Fi, <laughs> which my phone has been on the Wi-Fi for months. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I exactly. guess I've never needed my laptop to be. So, I mean, I still don't. So. <laughs> um, uh, there's, uh, there's good news for birds is the science update. Oh, yeah? I mean, kind of. There's... Um, you know, if you think of a life of a bird, they face many dangers. Yes. <laughs> and it seems uh, dangerous up there. You're getting struck by lightning. Sure. Yeah. You know, tornadoes get you 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they can get the ground too. So yeah, lightning can get the ground too. I'm, not, I'm really making a very good case for the dangers of bird life. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been a lot of talk about wind turbines. Oh um, yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, a topic that we've discussed before: uh, cats are a big, <laughs> a big danger, <laughs> a big to birds. problem for birds. Yeah, yeah. not my cat because he doesn't leave the house. Yes, but. yes. Other so cats just fly. Can't. Last I checked, cats can't fly, but they can. Uh, they can lull you into a false sense of because uh, they look so lazy and derpy. Oh and yeah, you're like oh that right, that, yeah. that thing's just gonna like a bird sees a cat and yeah. thinks like oh, that's another bush or <laughs> uh, that's like a flower pot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That cat looks like a flower pot. Yeah. <laughs> You've never seen a cat dressed up with like it's a sunflower hat made on? Of terracotta. <laughs> you have a terracotta cat over there? Well, again, he does not leave the house and he <laughs> oh, refuses right. to dress up. We bought him a Christmas tie. Oh, really? A couple years ago. How dare he? <laughs> it's like a little bow tie, sparkly, and we put it around him like a collar and he yeah. like went on the floor and like started like, <laughs> like trying to like roll his way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so he that's, doesn't do dress up either it's bordering on abusive behavior i guess so yeah. <laughs> i think his reaction was a little dramatic honestly hey you're the therapist isn't that what all abusive people say uh, your reaction is a little dramatic <laughs> yeah, right, yeah right yeah well, i wanted to say to him like a lot of other cats wear collars yeah yeah collar okay collar it was like really a collar like yeah, when yeah, yeah. and like a little a bow tie collar. on the on yeah. the back that's all right. The dog was over here this weekend, and uh, she got a jingle bell while she was here. Mm. So yeah, dogs are more into that. I think she was liking it. Yeah, you know, she was getting in the spirit. She was yeah. feeling festive. Yeah, when she was out, you know, looking for a place to do her business in the yard. Here mm-hmm. she's, you know, jingling like a reindeer. Right. Yeah. I didn't put antlers on her or anything. No, I mean that might be going a little bit far. <laughs> um. So the majority of of bird deaths are actually caused by cats, but that really <laughs> that's kind of beside the point. I would um, I would not have guessed that. Yeah, I would have guessed. Been, I w- you know what I would have guessed? Windows. Well, they fly into windows a lot. It's funny you say that. Is it? Well, it's not funny. I guess. Yeah, that's it's not, not funny, funny at all. Ha-ha. Think about think about the poor birds. Funny uh, or like ironic. Yeah. Um, the second largest cause of bird deaths is collisions with windows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is where the good news comes in. Um, there's uh, growing efforts, this little report says, um, that businesses are taking part in lights out programs in which their buildings dim lights during spring and fall migrations, um, hmm. which you know allows for birds to notice the Oh yeah, the window more, um, and then some buildings are now using a special glass that birds can see and avoid. Huh. Um, and so there's like bird-friendly glass. Wow! In new construction. Look at that. Yeah. Bird tested, bird approved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bird approved. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also uh, companies that are selling a vinyl film with tiny dots that can be affixed to windows. Um, and that has also led to a substantial decrease in uh, avian collision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So, yeah, I, I mean, there wasn't really much done before the 1970s about 
yeah about this but um I don't know. We're not going to get rid of cats, so we might as well help them with the, the second leading cause of bird death. But that's a that's a good case for campaigning against cats, though. <laughs> be like, think about the birds, like because you could just be somebody kind of like me who doesn't really like cats very much, and just be like, yeah, yes, I really like birds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, nice. So a little. Uh, I don't know. A little love for the. Let's hear it for the birds. That's yeah. that's like Footloose. Yeah. Let's see what you did there. I can see a bird like you know having some breakfast at a bird feeder, hops down, starts dancing to that song. Yeah, yeah. That'd, be, that'd go viral that video. Well, it will be in the in the bird friendly window commercial about how happy the birds yeah, are like, yeah because they'll like be flying towards it and then they'll turn at the last minute uh-huh. and then they'll start dancing yeah because they're still alive and just like a picture of a indoor cat just like sneering from <laughs> yeah. inside the window like, how dare that bird be so happy in front of me <laughs> why do cats try to kill birds anyway what's the i don't know are they, is it like that's a good question is it just the hunter in them like because they some most of the time they just kill mice to kill them they don't do anything with them yeah do they like, well they like our cat well they toy no. with them right yeah plays with them like tortures yeah. them yeah yeah but they don't it's not like they're doing it for food or for sustenance no usually you know? they'll do it because they think humans are like really bad cats yeah <laughs> and we need help yeah like finding our food yeah and the, <laughs> but but the cat's also like i'm not eating this crap yeah but you look hungry <laughs> Allow me to provide dinner. But that bird, <laughs> I would eat that bird. Yeah. <laughs> Although our cat won't eat chicken. He, yeah. He, I don't know. He uh, eats the salmon and the the, the chicken. The tuna. It seems like it would be an easier uh, job of hunting for a cat to get a chicken than it would be a, a bird that flies. <clears throat> yeah. And maybe there are cats that are specifically chicken hunters. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a reality TV series. Though. Yeah. Chicken hunters. <laughs> chicken hunters of four-legged the chicken hunters <laughs> <laughs> anyway well great we're smarter now that's aren't the we? world of science <laughs> for you <laughs> they didn't say what um bird friendly glass is i mean i guess um you know it's special glass that birds can see right maybe there's more reflection yeah i don't know what it is but they didn't say exactly what yeah. it was I think maybe just an educational campaign would also do it, you know, to try to teach so the like birds. like when birds are in elementary school. Yeah. Like, like, don't keep trying to fly inside buildings. Yeah. Just stay away from the building in general. Yep. You know? It's like we teach mm-hmm. our children not to play in the street. Right. Don't run around in the road. Yeah, there's like way less buildings in Montana. Yeah. North Dakota. Right. Just have birds move there. Yeah. Or just fly not towards the building. Because how many people put up glass with no building around it? You know, uh, usually it's fixed in a farmers. <laughs> I don't know a greenhouse. Oh, that's all. Yeah, but even that has like well, that you can see because it's not transparent. That's true. Like, well, they see all the sometimes. yeah. All oh the, yeah, <laughs> like oh look at this. Look at those plants. Look at this tasty goodness in there. Must have it. But that's usually plastic. Or is that oh. a cat just dressed up as a sunflower? <laughs> <laughs> the old sunflower cat <laughs> trick. <laughs> <laughs> classic yep uh great well thank you for that jason we appreciate your uh your update uh we don't have the middle schooler tonight so i can ring the uh singing bowl 
that's a little, I feel, I feel like I'm getting a little consistency. Like, I think when I zone out, it means it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your eyes were almost closed. There was nothing, uh, yeah. nothing bothering me. You almost had a collision with glass just then. Yeah. You were so zoned out. Uh, but yeah, uh, she's not here. Um, but uh, no, she's doing, she's doing well. Um, missed the bus a couple days in a row here uh, <laughs> for different reasons. It is really you know? dark in the morning right now. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's not helpful. No. And, um, you know, the whole time management thing is also not helpful yeah. or lack thereof. But I shouldn't talk bad about her when she's not here to defend herself. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just something everybody goes through. And then it's also know? what what did you guys say? Like, well, it's like 13 days now till Christmas itself. So there's only, yeah. it's only what, eight more school days or you seven get eight, or something? Yeah, eight more school days. So it's like yeah. cruise control. Yeah, you're just mailing it in at this point anyway. Yeah. Yep, it's done. So, uh, yeah, but that's the middle schooler update. <laughs> uh, she is, uh, she's very excited. Her her drama club uh, is mm-hmm. starting up. So some of the meetings for that. So yeah, she, I saw, saw a picture of the cast mm-hmm. with their scripts. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's nowhere to be found. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I talked to her and she's like, oh, yeah, I wasn't there. Yeah. But I'm in the show. <laughs> yeah. She had something. What she have going on? I think she had uh, some sort of appointment or something. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, she's excited about that. So I'm sure we'll hear about that as as things progress along with the middle schooler. Yeah, um, I did hear one of her lines. She told me. Oh yeah, yeah. She's already got it. All well, set. yeah, she's. I think she's gonna be like a, a valley girl. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a yeah a New Jersey version of Aladdin Junior. Oh cool, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> can't wait i yeah, haven't right. even i haven't heard as much as you've heard so that's good stuff that's about all i heard really. yeah uh great so um how's everything going with you i oh I, i'm tired i'll tell you that much right you know I, yeah well, yeah these uh these dark yeah. cold days mm-hmm. people spreading germs everywhere yeah yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I've been feeling pretty good. I was sick for a little bit there. You know, a couple episodes ago, I was yeah. kind of scratchy, but... Well, that kind of stuff lingers, though. It does. It does. I mostly... Th- we had a we had a canning run today at the brewery, mm-hmm. and um, so we canned five different beers today, uh, five different brands. But also, we yesterday and today, we spent a lot of time getting ready. We got a huge order from our distributor you know for the end of the year which is good mm-hmm. but that's it's, what you want yeah. it's the biggest order they've ever had all right and, um, and so that's that was good but it was like uh you know packing up lots of pallets of beer you know kegs mm-hmm. on pallets and then a whole bunch of uh we had to put a whole bunch of cases together you know after as we were canning we were going right on pallets because they're going out the door tomorrow so uh trying to get that all set so we mm-hmm. we got it uh, everything's pretty much done just a couple little things to do in the morning but uh so it was it's it was one of those like good problems because it's like great you're taking all our beer and then you're <laughs> like oh you're taking all our beer <laughs> and we have to move everything in the place uh-huh. so uh but we really there's not much in the you know inventory that hasn't been touched in the last two days we've been going through everything and you know when they order the small kegs, we got to fill them off of the big kegs if we don't have them already filled. You know, we fill keg to keg from big keg into a small one. So okay, that's a bit of a process. We were doing that yesterday for a couple hours. And, you yeah, know, yeah it sounds a little complex. Yeah, that's why the small kegs cost more. 
because <laughs> it's like, you know, buying three small kegs, it's, it's equivalent in volume, you know, three small kegs right. to one big one, but it's not the same price equivalent, three to, three to one for all, you know, all those reasons. But right. the big one is it's a lot of extra work to do it. So, but yeah, so we're all done with that. So now it's podcast time. <laughs> it's a good thing it's your episode because I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, the big news was uh, yesterday. We've only had one day in between our uh, recordings. Yeah, these last two, but uh, I finally typed my name into the uh, verification search um, with the state, and my name finally appeared. Hey, as a person with a permit. So nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Very... So you're you're official now. Yeah, you can, uh, you know, if you knew how to do the search online, which is pretty easy, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, you could search for uh, permitty name and yeah. mental health counseling and wow. my name would show up. So you are an LMHC now, officially? No, because uh, the L stands for license. You're not licensed. <laughs> I'm permitted. So you're a PMHC. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't exist, so that's yeah. what I am. <laughs> yes, yes, you're something that doesn't exist. Uh, permi- that's great. Yeah, I'm just a MHC, basically. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the difference between how do you get a license? I thought this whole thing was getting a license. Is uh, that, so you're so going towards that or not? Yeah, right. The uh, Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, comma. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, like Jason getting a license. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see how it goes because it's, now it's 3,000 hours. Oh, yeah? Of, um, you know, working under someone else's license, a supervisor. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's like your learner's permit when you're driving. Yeah. You have, drive with another right right exactly. licensed person we've, we've, i think we've made this joke you yeah. can't counsel after dark yeah, right. <laughs> you have to have somebody yeah. else in the exactly. car with you yeah. while you're counseling um <laughs> and then i would take a um take an exam somewhere in that three thousand hours yeah somewhere in the next year and a half um and if i pass that then there's the opportunity to get a license yeah if you get the three thousand hours pass that exam Okay. You're, uh, so yeah, that's that. I just did the math. That is actually a year and a half of mm-hmm. 40 hour weeks. Yep. Pretty much. So I don't yeah. know if it'll, I mean, I'm hoping cause of the permit you have to, uh, it's good for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I would like to be finished with my 3000 hours before December right. 10th, 2025. Okay. So are they going to help you get your schedule nice and full? Cause you're going to have to have a pretty full schedule yeah, to get those hours right it should uh it should get pretty full pretty quickly um and part of your hours are um i think full-time we've maybe talked about this too is like somewhere it depends on your organization but somewhere between like 22 and 25 clients mm-hmm. if you're doing hour-long mm-hmm. sessions mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of your time is paperwork and yeah um you know staff meetings and yeah Eating bagels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Checking the scores online. I mean, I know. do live like three minutes away from a great bagel place. Yeah. So. See? Got to make sure. Don't eat too many of them, though. No, yeah. They kind of sit in your intestine <laughs> like a little uh, anchor. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it helps you stay anchored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, we, I think the, us and the, you know the whole audience is uh, interested to hear how how it all goes for you. Um, you know, obviously as much as you can share in a right. medium like this, but you yeah. know, very very cool to um, to hear that 
process. So congratulations. Thank you. That's, yeah. Yeah. That is, you've been waiting for that for a while now. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, been like uh, four, yeah. about four months since yeah, uh, that's internship great. ended. <laughs> like, all right, done with school. Now you can start working four months from now. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Hope you had some reserves <laughs> <laughs> or a really rich family. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. So <clears throat> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'll, when I'll start, but uh, if not before Christmas, soon after. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Do we have any uh, listener communications from the social media landscape? Anything like that? It was only it's only been a couple of days since episode right. fifty one was recorded. No, but I will request if if they have any. Uh, you know, animals or pets dressed up for the holiday season. Ah, yeah. We would love to, love to see that. Share them. That's great. Share them right to our, <laughs> to our social media pages. That would be great. Better yet would be pictures of animals dressed up for the holiday season, their, their pets with yellow beers. <laughs> so like your cat with a Christmas bow and a PBR yeah. or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. Says the cat. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, nothing says Christmas like PBR. No. In fact, you can't spell Christmas without PBR. Well, it's got red and white, yeah. too. You know, yep. Those are Christmassy yeah. types of colors. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right, yeah, we didn't get any new emails. Uh, so we'll just, you know, if you do want to get in touch with the show, uh, reach out via Instagram or Facebook or uh, hit us at the email brothers at music of the spheres podcast.com and we'll be happy to read your email on the show so you can communicate with uh, with us on whatever you think about the show and all that good stuff or whatever you think about the beers uh, or if you have any advice for uh, for us about how to make the show better or um, you know make it worse because it's too good uh, or whatever we'll, we'll listen <laughs> Uh, yeah and uh, head over to the website too uh, www.musicofthespherespodcast.com right now the website just shows the platforms that we're on um, but really hoping to get to the place of having an updated website since we promised it in the calendar year of 2023 so we've still got a few few days to get a new (laughs) website together (laughs) so yeah um I guess that's everything. Unless you got anything else for the first segment, we can have some beer. Yeah, let's grab some yeah. uh, some beer. It, right. it is admittedly a a festive choice since this is our. See, Christmas you've been episode. going you've been going off you know outside the box here a little bit the last couple of times. You're sort of rewriting the rules that we made up ourselves a little bit. Uh, a couple. What was it? Yeah, it was two episodes. Two episodes ago, it was Guinness, and. Uh, which you claimed was because my throat was scratchy and I needed something. <laughs> hey, all right. I think um, my claim on that one was that it's actually like a dark. Oh, it's like a light. Beer. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a, a yellow. Yes. It shares very many characteristics <laughs> except for the color. Yeah. That was my Guinness argument. All right. Um, but yeah, this, we went back to, uh, well, I guess I went back to the the old Shiner. Yeah. The Spetzel Brewery. Yeah. Um, I in Shiner, Texas, had bought their sampler earlier yeah. this year, um, and then I saw this one walking through. I was like, "Oh, what is this? Awesome. I've never seen this beer before." And if you are from Texas, I know we have we have some listeners in Texas because I can see where the downloads happen. Oh, okay. So we have we have a handful of downloads that happen regularly in Texas. So 
uh, cheers to uh, all of our Texas listeners and a big shout out. Thanks for supporting the show. But uh, I'd love to hear what, what the great state of Texas thinks about this brewery, you know, like, mm-hmm. is it, is it like their thing, you know, like, yeah. Cause like, I mean, you could ask a similar question about New York state, you know, we have Genesee right. and we have, you know, UC Utica club. You know, so people tend to be in one camp or the other, like they're either a Genesee person or a UC person. <laughs> and UC is like the cool, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's the cool, like yellow domestic beer now. Oh, it it's, is? Yeah, it's very popular, you know, with a lot of people. UC, they sell a lot of UC, uh, probably more than Genesee sells, you know. Hmm. But those are kind of the, you know, the two big ones. Such a funny battle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, so I just wonder, I just wonder, like, what it, are people in Texas, like, you know, oh yeah, it's super cool. We love everything that comes out of Shiner. Yeah, you know all the Shiner beers, or or they're like, oh yeah, there's a been whatever. You know, and we like uh, some of the other newer craft beers, or maybe there's you know bigger ones that they that they like mm-hmm. down there. So I don't know. I'm curious to hear. Yeah, so. curious to hear from uh, people. In, yeah, in, in all the other states where we have listeners, if you want to share with us kind of that same. Uh, yeah. Uh, What's your what's Battle your hometown of, yellow beer? Right, <clears throat> every state has its like you know, maybe not every state, but a lot of them have mm-hmm. some of that that like more regional domestic beer. Right, it's not the Bud Miller Coors kind of thing. Yeah, like Pennsylvania know? would probably say Yingling, right? Yeah, they got Yingling, um, but isn't that other one in Pennsylvania too? Um, the other one that we did. Why oh, can't I think of the the one we couldn't uh, pronounce correctly? Right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Um, it'll come to us. Yeah, we'll think of it eventually. We could look it up on our website, which we haven't done yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the website's going to have a list of all the beers we've, we've had on the show. That's That'll true. be great. Yeah. That'll be great. Um, so, yeah, this is the the Shiner Holiday Cheer, which rhymes with beer. Yeah. That's maybe why they did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it says it's an ale brewed with peaches and pecans wow which Never, is a yeah a really kind of delightful sounding combination yeah and with natural flavor and caramel color they actually color it just, that's very rare to see coloring put in a beer because so usually it would mean it it is a yellow beer with a spray tan <laughs> <laughs> Is that what we're looking at here? <laughs> yes, and a tramp stamp. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, my apologies to all of our uh, you know, <laughs> listeners out there that fall into those categories. <laughs> Just trying to spread a little holiday cheer, and this yes, is what yeah. we hear. I know. Do I you know. hear what I hear? Yeah. Uh, we're going to get flagged now. Uh, yeah, So no, but it is interesting that it um, has coloring added because... For two reasons, in my mind, anyway, and this is just me thinking off the top of my head. But the first thing is, like, most of the time in in beer, you, you know, you're trying. If you don't, <laughs> unless you intentionally put malt in there to make it a certain color, it doesn't have to. You know, like you're most of the time trying to make beer clearer or less colorful, you know, or brighter or mm-hmm. crisper looking, you know, the color is always a result of like, Oh, I want to put roasted malt in it and make it red, you know? And right. Like, so you, so you can make it, I guess that's it. It's like usually beer is trying to be clearer and brighter and lighter, or uh-huh. you're, you can make it colored just by putting stuff in it that you want. So it's funny that they would, you know, so that leads me to believe, I wonder if this is just another brand 
of beer like base recipe and they just add uh you know all this other stuff to it and put a little color in to make it look different oh yeah maybe like let's be a little more uh efficient in the process here you know (laughs) why why brew yeah you know two small batches when we make one big batch and get two beers out of it no maybe that's just a guess it's good uh good business sense out of out of shiner yeah well so i guess it's not a yellow beer but Maybe its base is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. I'm going to crack it open. You have the, you have the glass there. I got the glass. I'm yeah. very curious. Holiday Cheer by Shiner from Spetzel. Oh, wow. That's very... That's almost a brown ale. Yeah, it's very... Uh, it's like be, just beyond red. Yep. One would say burgundy, perhaps. Sure. Right? Yep. Very yeah, brownish. Very yeah. clear, though. Very bright. They've added caramel color. Look, and the foam is even... Like the foam is even colored shaded. a bit, it's like yeah. slightly tan. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It looks, it looks delightful, though. It looks like a holiday party in a glass. You know. Yeah. 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 Give me candy cane sticking out the top, and you know, some <laughs> gingerbread man, and good to go. You're gonna dunk a gingerbread into it. Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> you only celebrate this stuff one time a year. Might as well eat and drink gross stuff. You're gonna have like floaties <laughs> at the bottom. Yeah. Whatever. A little snack for yeah. the end of your beer. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here we go. I'm going to try it out. Yeah. So yeah, it's very uh, it's very clear. So it's clearly a filtered beer, but it's also very almost yeah. It's somewhere between a red ale and a brown ale. I'd say those, it's like deep, and those two deep. flavors really kind of come out in the smell. Yeah, the peaches. Uh, that's <laughs> like what you wouldn't expect. Yeah, peaches. I don't. I've never had a unless it's like specifically a fruit beer but this is kind of like supposed to be like spiced yeah oh that's that's good and also very interesting <laughs> the fruit flavor like it's very it has like a little bit of the acidity of fruit you know like like a lot of times you know fruit flavors just have the flavor and not any of the other stuff to go along with it mm-hmm. you know like in, in fruit, it's fruit has almost always got some acidity to it. That sure. usually doesn't come through in flavoring. So hmm. it tastes like, I don't know. It's got like a, the peach is very bright is what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. What about the pecan? You get the pecan? I kind of smell more. I smell the pecan more than taste it, mm-hmm. I guess. Hmm. I mean, it's a little nutty, I guess. Yeah. It's more in the finish. Yeah. It feels like I've been eating candied pecans. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're drinking candied pecans, I am. basically. I am. <laughs> yeah. With natural caramel. Cl- I like it. I, I, yeah. I would drink it for this I think this season. would go well with a, a yeah. gingerbread uh, house. Yeah. Making, while I'm making my gingerbread house. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Drink six or seven of these and then <laughs> see how my house looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yep his basement is leaking oh uh, yeah <laughs> dang it i put the chimney on the bottom again <laughs> i hate when that happens uh, the, yeah the basement is leaking and on fire <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the old the old downward facing chimney <laughs> it's like a yoga move gone wrong <laughs> uh, uh, yeah this house's chakra is all, all messed up not aligned at all yeah it reminds me of one time uh, one of the, the old manager at the summer camp 
I was talking about there was a building project going on and a bunch of volunteers came up and he was fed up with them, you know, like, oh, <laughs> volunteers, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, because he's like, a, he was a builder, you know, so he knew how to build a building. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, I said, uh, how's it going? You know, he looks at me, he's like, Ugh, just don't go in there with a level. <laughs> like, okay. What do you mean? I travel everywhere with yeah, a level. Yeah. <laughs> and I immediately put my level back <laughs> in my holster. <laughs> my level holster. Yeah. It goes right next to my phone case. Yeah, on, yeah. On my belt. Yeah, I'm like the dude with the big phone case that sticks off, you know, I'm like hanging on to the belt. Yeah. And he just like smashes in there. You see these people with the big now I'm offending more people. Well, I don't know how their phones don't. Yeah, I don't know how they just, don't go flying. Yeah, you get a like it's caught in a car door. Yeah. You know, a seatbelt grabs it. You know, you get it hooked on something on the way by. Like the amount of times, like my hand hits something. Yeah, and my hands are like yeah, even. You know, I'm in more control of them than my <laughs> than my belt. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And they're always so huge too. It's great, I love it. <laughs> like. Your cell phone is not actually that big, but the case that right. it comes in, when you strap it on your belt, it's like amplifies it by 35%. <laughs> Although I've always, I mean, maybe it's because I buy like cheap pants, but like mm-hmm. I've had to get rid of pants just because like the cell phone, the f- cell phone outline is yeah. there. Yeah. Like from just having it in my pocket. Yeah. It's like, well, even when I don't have a phone, I have a phone. Yeah. Yeah. I've ruined several pairs of pants delivering kegs with a phone in my pocket oh yeah because you know the phone case is sturdy enough but you pull the keg out of the van mm-hmm. and you go to like horse it around and yeah. you lean it on your you smush thigh it. yeah and it smushes against your pants yep and i because i would be like in my sales clothes because i was out on sales calls but i do a couple deliveries you know this is back when we were self-distributed mm-hmm. and so i would go and you know do some sales calls and deliver a couple kegs and then i'd look down at the end of the day and like this big almost it's almost a tear it's just like the fabric is shredded in that spot almost like Mm -hmm. just totally debilitated from the kegs sliding against the phone case in my so we might find ourselves uh in the future yeah being those people who yeah, put their phones on their belts. I know. And if I was on my belt, then the worst that could happen is it would get knocked off going down the stairs and land in the sump hole in the basement of the restaurant. Right. Which, and that's, that would be, <laughs> that would be quite a trip. <laughs> but hey, look what the Shiner Holiday Cheer does. It yeah. creates this wow. wonderful holiday banter. Yeah, seriously. Um, if you're got... wondering what to talk about with your relatives. <laughs> bring one as of you all gather together and then soon you'll be talking about um you know waistline tattoos and uh, <laughs> and phone cases on your belt and yep. pants ruined yep. for very obscure and reasons dipping gingerbread men into beer and like all kinds of stuff yep. wow yeah. they do really bring it. it does bring holiday cheer it's in yep. the it's in the can that's right it keeps people away from talking yeah. about religion and politics yeah so there you go. i think we should change the lyric of the song uh in the holly jolly christmas it's uh have a cup of cheer i think it should be have a can of cheer have a can of cheer have a can <laughs> at least that's what shiner yes. should do yeah. if they want to sell more of this <laughs> have eight cans of cheer <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's what burl ives said yes yes it sounds like it <laughs> Sounds like he was having some cheer. He kind of sounds like he sings like he's a wind-up toy. <laughs> I've always thought like the producer runs into the studio and cranks it up again. Yeah, yeah like yeah, <laughs> like, like during the bridge, <laughs> <laughs> so we can get through the end of the rest I'm of the song. Giving her all he's got. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. 
Shiner holiday cheer from the Spetzel Brewery in Shiner, Texas. Potentially a yellow beer masquerading yeah, as something. I'm sure else. it must be a yellow beer. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty ingenious on their part. Really. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't. I mean, if they they want the flavors to be the the peach and the pecan, mm-hmm. right? So then, yeah, that's what people want to taste if they're buying this. Yeah, yeah. but if you were going to make a beer this color, you would have to put probably some roasted barley in it or some caramel malt and then it's going to get like malty sweetness mm-hmm. you know this doesn't have the malty sweetness it's got the, right. the nuttiness and the peachiness yeah but people think you're drinking something really really hearty and it's yeah just kind of yeah pleasant yeah delightful yeah. reminds me of peach snapple used to like that stuff oh yeah it must be the same peach flavoring because it's got <laughs> that kind of character yeah i love that stuff <clears throat> All right, well, uh, that's going to do it for segment number one of episode 52. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with uh, tonight's presentation. Thanks for listening. episode 52 all you wonderful listeners wish you the happiest of holiday seasons as we cheerfully celebrate with our shiner holiday cheer shiner holiday cheer and uh wish you much cheer as well yeah you should have a can of cheer (laughs) have a can of cheer have a can of yellow cheer (laughs) (laughs) this is not yellow though yeah very much not so much and as always watch out for the yellow snow yeah Unless it's yellow beer that somebody poured in the snow, then go for it. (laughs) It's just what? Give it a sniff first? (laughs) Some beers you can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) This one smells a little skunky. Uh, What animal was that? (laughs) Yeah. What was that one we had that was really bad? Um Next. Oh yes, Bud Light Next was terrible. I keep seeing that. Like it's always in the I mean, you know, when he buys it, I've never looked, at, never looked at the date on the box. It's just a lot of it around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That was what? undrinkable. There was one other one that was really bad, though. One other, just, it was just a regular yellow beer, but it was terrible. I can't remember what that was. Nothing sticks out in my mind like no. the next. Yeah, but that wasn't even, be- it didn't even taste like beer. It right. tasted like cleaning solution yeah. with carbonation. Yep. It was yeah. weird. I imagine Pledge kind of. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like yeah, yeah. Good dusting compound. Yeah, you know. Man, I should have saved some. Instead of, <laughs> I think I poured a couple down the drain or something. <laughs> Oops. Um. So yeah, this is uh, this is going to be an, another one-off. Um. However, it's not the enneagram. <laughs> okay. One-off, and it it does, I think sort of play into what you've been discussing in okay in the book 
um, you're currently presenting. All right. Do you have, what, one more episode of? Yes, I have one more episode. It'll be episode number 53 on the uh, just the current resource of the Shroud of Turin. But I think I'd like to, you know, let the listeners know that it's not a topic that's going away on this <laughs> podcast because it's fascinating. And I've been I've been watching. It's been very popular. We've seen a lot of a lot of downloads of the Shroud of Turin episodes. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a popular subject out there. So yeah. we'll keep delving into it more and more. But yeah. So um, good. I'm glad that it's uh, connecting with. Yeah, because I mean, it reminded me of um, I saw this. I watch a lot of TED Talks. Um, I'm a TED Talk guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, you are. <laughs> Those, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to be a guy, like something guy. So maybe TED Talk guy will be. <laughs> maybe that'll catch on. <laughs> Still yeah. trying to be a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a TED Talk guy. TED Talk guy. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, it's, it was called uh, from 2011, the history of our world in 18 minutes. Okay. And I mean, that's basically about as long as a TED talk can be. So um, you got to be able to fit it in if you're going to. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to make. Is this. that a rule? It has to be 18 minutes or less? I, I'm not sure of the exact number, but I think it has to be less than either 20 minutes or, or 18. Yeah. Um, some are a lot shorter, but yeah. I don't think they can be any longer. Because the idea is to like be succinct with your. Right. Um, with your idea. And yeah get it out there in a uh, way that people can grasp it yeah. quickly. Uh, nice. And and then it also, like in this case, would lead people to this whole like syllabus mm-hmm. that they've created. Okay. Um, which I'll talk about as well. Um, so the history of our world in 18 minutes uh, starts off with... Uh, this video of um, somebody scrambling an egg. Okay. But then as you watch it more and more, you realize it's in reverse, right? Like um, it kind of starts at the point where you've beaten all the yolks. Yeah. And they've all looked, they, you know, turned into one yellow blob. Okay. Um, And so he kind of makes you think it's a scrambled egg but then the video shows that it's like slow motion in reverse. So then you see the the yolks start forming again. Mm-hmm. And then you see the yolks um, like being like sucked back into the shell. Uh-huh. And you see the shells being put back together. Yeah. And, you know, then it just... Do they show the shell going back into the chicken? <laughs> There's no chicken. <laughs> That's probably because the cat got it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, but that would have that mean that would answer the question though. What came first? <laughs> right? Yes, the age old I was wondering yes. what question. What question? <laughs> of course. The right? Because if it went back into the chicken, you'd be like, there it is. Evidence. <laughs> it started with the chicken, not the egg. <laughs> um. <laughs> Welcome to the even numbered episode. I'm glad so you can amuse yourself. So <laughs> just picture you like later and just you know and alone in your living room just laughing yeah yeah oh man that was a that's funny, what i do i re-listen to the, that was a the funny shows joke I made. <laughs> and i listen for all my great zingers <laughs> um so he kind of talks about how um the egg is unscrambling itself mm-hmm. 
and you know you see the yolk and the white have separated and um, then at the end of it it's like this is your brain on ted talks <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of mush being molded back together yeah. you remember that commercial like way back in the day oh right yeah <laughs> they throw an egg in the frying pan this is your brain on drugs this is your brain on drugs yeah, <laughs> yeah. so unscrambles this is your mm-hmm. brain on ted talks yeah yeah i think there are a lot of other podcasts about how like those promos and like the dare program yeah like none of that worked right <laughs> to right. stop people yeah. Yeah. um so he said uh a scrambled egg is mush tasty mush mm-hmm. but mush nonetheless mm-hmm. but an egg mm-hmm. is a beautiful sophisticated mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that can create oh maybe he's got the answer ah, ah even more sophisticated things like chickens yes so is it the egg or the chicken? It depends on your definition of time, I think is actually the answer of the question. Because mm. if you think that, you know, the present now is just a, you know, and then it, that's all that there is that exists to the conscious mind, mm-hmm. then past and future are just constructs around that present now moment, mm-hmm. then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> about the chicken or the egg it's just right. whatever's in front of you at whatever the time. you see first yeah <laughs> yeah because they don't re- they don't relate to each other unless you observe you know the relationship of one becoming the other mm-hmm. so they really yeah there you go that's my big idea for tonight all right i'm done <laughs> we'll see about that i guess <laughs> um and he says uh, uh we know in our heart of hearts and this is kind of where it gets to what you've been discussing. Um, the universe does not travel from mush to complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he talks about the one of the most fundamental laws of physics, the second law of thermodynamics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which sounds like you know what that means. But for those listening, um, also known as the law of entropy, uh, basically, the general tendency of the universe is to move from order and structure to lack of order, lack of structure, or mush, some would say. <laughs> um, from an egg to a scramble. Yeah. Um, and that's why the video, he said, feels strange because it's going in the reverse right. order. Yeah. Um, from mush to uh, this beautiful structure of an egg. So that was, that was kind of his opening fits a lot into an opening minute there um 17 to go that's right yeah we're counting down this is all about time actually it's like an episode of 24 (laughs) um but then he says look around us what we see is is uh almost staggering complexity if you really spend even like 15 seconds thinking about just the complexity of you as a human being yep. and that you're able to like stand and breathe and walk around and function. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he mentions, uh, he doesn't say who this person is, but, uh, he's a professor. Um, so maybe it's another professor, but, uh, Eric Beinhocker, uh, and this, this, uh, this man's name is David Christian. He's the presenter. Okay. Um, Estimates that in New York City alone, there are some 10 billion distinct commodities traded. Mm-hmm. 
right? And that's hundreds of times as many species as there are on Earth. Um, they're being traded by a species of more than 7 billion individuals. Mm-hmm. Almost 8 billion now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Is it over 8 billion? I don't know. The population? Um, linked by trade and travel, internet, into this like complex global system. Um, so that gets to the puzzle as he begins minute two of um, in a universe ruled by this second law of thermodynamics, how is it possible to generate the sort of complexity um, represented by you and me and, you know, the world in which we live? And he says, the answer seems to be the universe can create complexity, but with great difficulty. Um, there are pockets where uh, Goldilocks conditions can occur. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Goldilocks uh, principle? Yeah, she's the, the porridge, porridge, right? Huh? The, it's about the porridge, right? She was... She snuck into the place where the three bears lived, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> she tried the different porridges. Yeah. yeah. Or actually, it wasn't just the porridge. It was like all different things, right? Right. Yeah. The, I think the, the most popular is the beds. The beds. Yeah. You know, but the porridge, one was too hot. One was too cold. Mm-hmm. The other one was just right. This is just right. The bed is too big. The other one's too small. This one's just right. Yep. Yeah. So, right. And they often refer to the, like, in, in a solar system, there's the Goldilocks zone. Mm-hmm. Right. Of a solar system, which, yep. you know, it's where life can exist because it's far enough away from the sun that it's not getting burnt, but close enough that it's exactly. warm. Yeah. yeah. And so they attribute that to Stephen Hawking. I don't know if that's true. You know, yeah. all these things. It, he seems like a pretty good person yeah. to attribute that to. I look at me like, hey, he's a Goldilocks guy. <laughs> Jason's a TED Talk guy. It's the old Steve Hawking. He's a Goldilocks yeah. guy. Loves himself a nursery rhyme. <laughs> is, that, is that a nursery rhyme or a fable? I I don't know. Definitely not a parable. We'll stick with fable for now. Maybe that's a future episode. <laughs> Goldilocks, the yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll add others in the uh, Brothers Grimm. Yes. Those are... We can mix it in with uh, when we talk about the... Um, kind of scary. The, uh, the Mandela effect. We're going to talk about the Mandela effect. And they always reference the Berenstein or Berenstain bears. Okay. What do you remember it as? Steen. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's Stain. A-I-N. Oh. See? Mandela effect. Really? A-I-N? Yeah. Not E-I-N? My mind is blown. Yeah. (laughs) The Berenstain Bears. B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N. Wow. Yeah. More like revisionist history. Well, that's exactly what the Mandela effect is. It's right, revisionist yeah. history. It's like if people remember things differently than, you know, and but there's like some some effects of that is like really profound. Like mm-hmm. they remember talking to a person about something that, you know, later on they're like, no, it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Or it didn't happen that way or whatever. Yeah. No. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm no, I was, just, I was just watching a show where a character <clears throat> was like shown that they do that. Mm-hmm. Like like someone just went back in their history like yeah. you have a way of not remembering things as yeah. they happen yeah yeah like, okay 
Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Um, so yeah, Goldilocks conditions, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just right for the, cre- in this case, the creation of complexity. Um, and if you have that, then slightly more complex things will appear. Um, and when you have slightly more complex things, you get slightly more complex things. It like He's kind of saying it has a ripple effect. Um, and in that way, they kind of build stage by stage okay. off, off of one another. Um, and so it kind of creates the illusion or the impression that something new is sort of appearing almost out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what's happening is like, it's just the right conditions. It's the, it's the Goldilocks principle. Hmm. And because something, um, uh, complex can be created, there's a chance for something more. Um, and so he would call those like threshold moments. Um, and at each threshold, it gets tougher to create, um, with continued complexity Um, because these things that are complex get more fragile they get more vulnerable Um, there's a lot more chance for uh, things to go haywire (laughs) haywire it's a fun word to say (laughs) probably could have inserted a different word but it's our podcast and we can say what we want (laughs) Um, so then he kind of talks, uh, begins minute three as we, as we count upward, um, towards chaos, (laughs) how as complex creatures ourselves, it's good to know this story of how the universe creates complexity, um, and why complexity is so connected to vulnerability and, uh, fragility, which I, th- I thought was kind of an interesting idea, like um, to understand our existence, um, which is seemingly just sort of uh, random, I guess, on the surface that Earth is the only place that we know about, really. Um, although, as as Lila was talking about on last episode, there's you know probably billions of planets like this uh, that we just don't know about um but uh he says you have to survey the the whole history of the universe to understand your um your place in it and your vulnerabilities um and how being vulnerable and fragile like the human life is is because it's so complex and so beautifully woven is kind of how I would um, Mm. sort of, that's how I've interpreted his idea. Um, So, all right. Sorry, I lost my... uh, No, I got the Wi-Fi. Um, oh yeah, you're all set from my from my phone. Oh good. It remembered the password, so sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. You're letting people behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
This um, is uh, VH1 Inside the Music with Jason. Right, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so he said, uh, so this is kind of the story he tells in big history. Um, but to do that, you have to do something that may at first seem completely impossible. You have to survey the whole history of the universe to understand. Yeah. Um, so he said, let's do it. Simple. And uh, then he winds back the time to 13.7 billion years ago. And now he's only got 15 minutes. The beginning of time. All right. 13.7, he said? 13.8? Yeah, 13, yeah, at this point, 13.701. How many days after this was yeah, published? This we, is, yeah, yeah this is 12 years ago. Or, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We've got a couple more decimals added yeah. on there. Um, and he said, around us, there's nothing. Right. And uh, during the video, it's just black. And he leaves mm-hmm. it silent for a while. And he's mm-hmm. like, around us, there's nothing. Um, <laughs> there's not even time or space. Imagine the it's darkest. It's no, no thingness. Yeah, no thingness. <laughs> yeah. Darkest, emptiest, emptiest thing you can um, imagine it. Um, and then, oh, man. I just lost my... <laughs> You're... Speaking of uh, complexity leading to vulnerability, your <laughs> complex computer over there is uh, like you know, kicked me off, revealing know. all of its vulnerabilities to you <laughs> while you're trying to podcast. I'm gonna blame your internet. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Yes. It's just because you're playing all these high tech videos over there. <laughs> we only use text on my internet. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um. Okay, it's, uh, you know, qubit a gazillion times, and, and that's where we are, um, right? The emptiest thing. The Cube what? You said cube. Qubit, like, you know, mul- you know, multiply it. Right. What are you multiplying now? The dark and the empty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think he's a math professor. <laughs> Yeah, if, you, a, if you cube nothing, you still have nothing. Well. <laughs> right? Isn't that one of the first things you learned? I think he's just saying there's a lot of darkness yes, and yes, emptiness. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Uh, I thought maybe infinite he was... Infinite darkness. I thought maybe he was making reference to the uh, to the biblical um, measure, the cube. He was just trying to make a <laughs> he was dorky making, joke, I guess. He was trying to make an arc. <laughs> how many cubits that thing is. Uh, and then suddenly, bang, a universe appears, an ah. entire universe. There you go. Bing, and we've bang. crossed our first threshold of complexity. Yeah, the threshold um, of complexity, and it's tiny. This universe—it's smaller than an atom, uh, and it's incredibly hot. It contains everything that—that's in today's universe. Um, so you can imagine uh, how hot it would—it would be. Um, that's warm. Uh, yep. That's yeah. There's an exercise uh, I think called hot foot, where like you just lift up one leg and you hop on the other yeah and like the ball of your foot just like it's like on fire because like <laughs> you're using that part of your body to like lift up the rest of your body yeah yeah imagine that right as you're thinking about this <laughs> first threshold <laughs> um, imagine jumping jumping up and down on the prehistoric universe with right just the ball yeah. of your foot <laughs> right <laughs> um so it's it's busting and then it's expanding at an incredible speed and at first it's just a blur Mm-hmm. Um, but very quickly, distinct things begin to appear. Mm-hmm. Um, within the first second, energy itself shatters into distinct forces. Um, ah. 
would be the four forces of physics yeah the four forces electromagnetic magnetism (laughs) and uh gravity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and those other two the uh (laughs) the different different direction uh what's the (laughs) (laughs) i love it you like latched right on to the first two you really got them yeah the other two just you're still working (laughs) (laughs) It's way it's easier the, to remember two things. It's the strong things. and weak nuclear force. Okay. Yeah. Which sounds like one thing. It is. Maybe it's they're both nuclear. That's why it's easy to remember. It's really only three. It's just a strong <laughs> and a weak version. <laughs> um, uh, and then energy, he says, does something else yeah. quite magical. Uh, it congeals to form matter. Hmm. Um, I, okay. You know, creating protons and leptons that include electrons um, and all of that happens in the first second he says um, and then he moves forward 380,000 years which is twice as long as humans have been on this planet right just according to the okay the science that we have on that um, simple atoms appear of hydrogen and helium and pause um for a moment, 380,000 years after the origins of the universe, because we actually know quite a lot about the universe at this stage, he hmm. says. Um, we know above all that it was extremely simple. It consisted of huge clouds of hydrogen and helium atoms, and they have no structure. Um, he's, he likes this mush word. He said they're cosmic mush. Um but that's not completely true, he says. <laughs> They're sort of that. Um, recent studies in satellites, uh, with satellites, uh, the WMAP satellite, do you know about that? Yes. Um, WMAP, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't tell you what it stands for. But. It's shown, well, I'm not, he doesn't say what it stands for either. Um, there are just tiny differences in that background, um, which he shows in the video, which is like blue areas. Yeah. The cosmic microwave background radiation, right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, they're about a thousandth of a degree cooler than the red areas, um, which mm-hmm. obviously sounds like a really tiny difference. Yeah. Um, but it was enough for the universe to move on to the next stage of building complexity. Mm-hmm. It so goes, it goes to middle school. That's, yeah, that's why he wanted to stop <laughs> at 380,000 years. Yep. Started to learn how to be even more socially awkward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it had a it had a class schedule with periods and yeah. bells. And it wore <laughs> cargo shorts. And... <laughs> now you're picking on middle school me. Oh. I wore cargo shorts. Oh, too. yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I wore husky pants. <laughs> That's what you want to be called. Is that the brand name or just the general description? <laughs> that was the description of the pants. Therefore, shorts, stocky... No, no legged. I don't know. I was like a garden gnome or something. Uh, just you know, whistling my way down the middle school hallway. Uh, so my, my little brother, the garden gnome. Yeah, I was All so I proud of you. The beard. But so proud of you. Yeah. I couldn't grow it at that time. Yeah. And the little pointy red hat. I could yeah. wear that. <laughs> you kind of have it on right now. I do. Yeah. 
Um, so that was the next stage, middle school, I guess. <laughs> um, and how how it works, right? This building complexity. Gravity is more powerful where there's more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so where you get slightly denser areas, gravity starts... Um, it started to compact these clouds of hydrogen and helium okay. atoms. Um, so you can imagine like the early universe breaking up into a billion clouds and each cloud is compacted, he says, and gravity gets more powerful as the density increases, mm-hmm. temperature rises at the center. Um, and also at the center, the temperature crosses the threshold of uh, 10 million degrees where protons will start to fuse and there is a release of energy and bam, we have our first stars, he says. Mm-hmm. Um, from about 200 million years after the Big Bang, stars begin to appear all through the universe, billions of them, um, and the universe is now significantly more interesting and more complex than it was then. Um, so stars will create, right? This is like an, another threshold. He moves on. Uh, Goldilocks conditions for crossing um, new, into new stages. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the very large stars die, they create temperatures so high that protons begin to fuse in all sorts of sort of like these different combinations he kind of talks about them yeah. being exotic um, to form all the elements of the periodic table. Um, so like, uh, my ring, that's two different kinds of gold, mm-hmm. which I don't know how that works. It's, it's white gold and rose gold. Yeah. I don't know how they're different other than in color, but I didn't do much, uh, research on that. <laughs> it's like a yellow beer with caramel coloring. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. <laughs> I've got like a holiday cheer. Ring. You've got, yeah. Ho- you're wearing the, your holiday yeah. cheer. All yeah. year round. <laughs> You know, the, yeah, this bottom part is for, you know, 11 months of the year. And then yeah. this top fancy part is for like the, the holiday times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but why I talk about my ring is because the gold was forged in a supernova explosion. Right. Um, so now the universe is more chemically complex. Is right. What he's getting at. Yeah. Um, and in a chemically more complex universe. Uh, you can make more things. Yeah. Um, and what starts happening is that around young suns, uh, young stars, all these elements combine. They swirl around. The energy of the star stirs them around, right? They form particles, um, all these different things. They form rocks, asteroids, and eventually they form planets and moons. Yeah. Um, and that is how the solar system was formed, obviously, four and a half billion years ago. Um, and then he says like rocky planets, like our planets, the uh, mother earth as we, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we know her by, uh, significantly more complex than stars uh, because of the diversity of materials. Um, so that's a fourth threshold of complexity, mm-hmm. a rocky planet. And because things are getting more complex, um, they'll just keep getting more complex. So the going gets tougher, he says. So now there's there's more uh, more things needing to work together, work in sync. There's a lot more vulnerability because of the fragility. Um, 
and this next stage introduces entities that are um, also more creative, though, and more capable of generating further complexity. And he's talking about living organisms um, created by chemistry, right? Uh, we ourselves are these huge packages of chemicals. Um, chemistry is dominated by the force electromagnetic oh the electromagnetic force yeah yeah mm -hmm. um that operates over smaller scales than gravity does um which is why we are smaller he says than our stars and the planets huh. um and what are the ideal conditions for chemistry he asks what are the goldilocks conditions um and as you could maybe imagine in listeners too you need energy but not too, too much, much. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, in the center of a star there's so much energy he he says that any atoms that combine will just get um busted apart again um if there's if there's so much energy mm -hmm. right but not uh but not too little um in uh, intergalactic space, there's so little energy that atoms can't combine. So yeah. that would be the other side of things. So it turns out uh, uh, planets are just right because they're close to stars, but not too close. Uh, planets like Earth, especially, that can contain uh, all these living organisms. Um, so... You also need a great diversity of chemical elements, and you need liquids such as water. Mm -hmm. um, why? Well, I'll tell you why. In gases, atoms move past each other um, so fast that they can't get together. Right? There's no uh, yeah stopping in the hall and right, right checking in and yeah. Yeah, you know, seeing how the holidays were. Right, you need a school dance for that. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, he's none of this yeah. running through the halls and you're late to science class. You know, you gotta, you gotta have a study hall or you gotta have a little dance class. If you're gonna go in there and uh, mm -hmm. say, "Hey, wire," <laughs> <laughs> what'd you call me? <laughs> um, but then in solids, right? If you know, sticking with our dance metaphor, if you know. Atoms are stuck together in solids. Yeah. If it's like if it's too many people in the dance hall or something, right? There's yeah. no room for dancing. Right. <laughs> it's the know. hospital. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's stuck in their bed in their different rooms in the hospital. Right, you know? yeah. You can't get out, and, you know. <laughs> um, and in liquids, they can cruise and <laughs> cuddle <laughs> and link up to form molecules. Um. So where do you find such Goldilocks conditions where things are just right? Planets are great, and early Earth was almost perfect, he says. Um, right? The, the Goldilocks portion of distance from a, from a star, right? Um, to contain huge oceans of liquid water. Um, and deep beneath those oceans, um, you've got heat from the Earth's crust. Um, so you've got this great diversity of elements. Um, and he says, at those deep oceanic vents, fantastic chemistry begins to happen. Um, and atoms combined into all these exotic combinations. Then moving into minute 10, 
But of course, uh, life is more than just exotic chemistry. I don't know if everybody knew that, but it's true. I was leaning that way, but now I'm convinced. (laughs) (laughs) How do you stabilize those huge molecules that seem to be viable? Um, You introduce a new trick. It's not like a card trick. It's like, what what card am I holding in my hand? Yeah. Um, you don't stabilize the individual. You stabilize the template, he says. The thing that carries information. Um, and the template copies itself. And then maybe people are thinking of DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was going to guess that. But I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> didn't want to. You didn't want to guess wrong. Yeah. Or... <laughs> oh, oh, little PMHC over here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you give a guy a permit and yeah, it goes uh, crazy. This guy's permitted. Permitted. Permitted to, to kill. <laughs> it's not like a license to kill. It's just a permit. <laughs> Got to do it right to get the license to kill. <laughs> um DNA, right, contains information about how to make living organisms, copies itself, uh, and scatters the templates through the ocean. Um, That's how the information spreads. And then, um, although DNA has its imperfections, right, as it copies itself once in every billion rungs, he says, there tends to be an error. Um, And what that means is that DNA, in effect, is learning. Hmm. Um accumulating new ways of making these living organisms. Um, So DNA is learning and it's building greater diversity and greater complexity. Uh, And that's what we see happening over the last 4 billion years. And then so for most of that time on Earth, he says, these living organisms have been simple, right? Single cells, but they had great diversity, and inside great complexity and then uh moving forward in time about 600 to 800 million years ago multi-celled organisms appear ah yes dun 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 and this is where we get a flashback to fungi ah yes um but you also get fish you get plants Mm -hmm. you know that it's where the sunflower hats started for the cats. <laughs> Tried to trick the birds. You get amphibia, you get reptiles, um, and you get dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, and occasionally, there are disasters. <laughs> uh, 65 million years ago, there was one such disaster. An asteroid landed on Earth, right? Do you know the, the locale? From your memory wow. banks, I know uh, it's in there somewhere. Um, aren't they? Wasn't that the uh, Gulf of Mexico? Uh, Yucatan, Yucatan Peninsula. Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so the, the uh, Chicxulub crater. Yes, did I get that right? No. I'm gonna go ahead and say yes because <laughs> he does not name it, but you can check that out. I think that's um, what they call. <clears throat> and uh, it created conditions. Um, Basically, we're like a nuclear war, um, and the dinosaurs were wiped out, um, which was really a bummer for the dinosaurs. You could imagine how they felt. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they didn't feel because they were all gone. 
Yes, the Chicxulub Crater. Um, Why is it called that? Is that who discovered? Well, sounds like see. a name. Um, I don't know. Uh, the Chicxulub Crater is an impact crater buried underneath the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Its center is offshore, but the crater is named after the onshore community of Chicxulub Pueblo. Okay. It is formerly. It was formed slightly over 66 million years ago when a large mm-hmm. when a large asteroid about 10 kilometers in diameter struck Earth. The crater is estimated to be 180 kilometers in diameter and 20 kilometers in depth. It is the second largest confirmed impact structure on Earth and the only one whose peak ring is intact and directly accessible for scientific research. Hmm. There you go. Chicxulub crater. Interesting. Um, so that was really not, um, not the best day a, a dino ever had, but <laughs> it was great news for our, uh, mammalian ancestors who sort of flourished in what was left behind. Um, and we are part of that creative evolutionary, uh, process that began 65 million years ago with the landing of an asteroid landing that's kind of a that's <laughs> just coming in for landing <laughs> yeah right that was a rough landing guys <laughs> any landing you can walk away from is a good one what did we do <clears throat> this place used to be so beautiful we came here for the dinosaurs <laughs> where did they go <laughs> i told you to <laughs> slow down sooner uh, it's a little asteroid humor for you <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it was a driver ed class. <laughs> yeah, we were in middle school not too long ago. So high schoolers driving an asteroid. And this, yeah, see, everything does move towards chaos. You know, <laughs> the universe, this podcast. <laughs> um, so then he moves moves into um, you know humans appearing, um, and he says we count as a threshold in this great story uh he, he says about two two hundred thousand years ago uh seeing that dna learns right accumulates information uh but is slow um because it's acquiring and accumulating information through random errors and some of those just happen to work out um but dna had actually generated a faster way of learning it produced organisms with brains although we did talk about fungi perhaps having what we would consider right brains yeah like a non-local brain right um and those organisms can learn in real time right if you have a brain and accumulate information learn um and he said the sad thing is when they die the information dies with them um, which makes humans different um because of language right ways of communicating um systems of communication that we can share what we've learned uh, in really precise ways whether it's through like pictures (laughs) hylographic uh is that the word i'm looking for hylographics hieroglyphics hieroglyphics oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) hieroglyphics that's the word i was like you need some more holiday cheer jason (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's something to get me to say that word right. I knew it was wrong. Libral flix. That's what you were trying to say. I've got to go back and listen to like what word I was actually saying. 
Is he talking about a, a Greek sandwich? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's got souvlaki. He's very <laughs> hieroglyphic. <laughs> um, you know, and that means it can outlast, right? It can um, sort of move uh, with the stages. Um, and that's why as a species, we're so creative. Uh, and that's why we have such a, a long history that's remembered. Um, and that we might be the only species to really um, hone that gift in uh, four billion years. Hmm. Um, and he calls oh, this... Oh, wait. Oh, okay. All right. No, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls this ability collective learning, uh, which he would argue is what makes us different from other species. Yeah. Uh, we can see it at work. Even in the earliest stages of human history, we evolved as a species. Um, but then you see humans migrating um, out of the like the savanna lands of Africa into new environments, desert lands, jungles, uh, tundras of Siberia, um, right? Tough environments. Uh, mm-hmm. Each in, uh, each migration involved learning, learning new ways of. Um, living with the environment around you, new ways of um, getting used to your surroundings. And then 10,000 years ago, um, there was a sudden change in global climate with the end of the last ice age, and uh, humans learned to farm. And that was a energy bonanza. Um, it's like when you go to the gym. Mm. It's an energy bonanza. <laughs> Yeah, that's where you're doing hot foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What yeah. is a bonanza anyway? Does that I have something to do with the TV Wild show. West? Right? Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. It's like a good it's... lot of stuff happening. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a word that I don't know. Um, so uh, the human population's multiplied, human societies got larger, denser, more interconnected. Um, and then from about 500 years ago, humans began to link up through shipping, uh, trains, the telegraph, now the internet, until we seem to form a single global brain of almost 8 billion individuals. Yeah. Um, and that brain is learning at warp speed, he says. And in the last 200 years, something else has happened. We've stumbled on another energy bonanza in uh, fossil fuels, mm-hmm. um, right? Which So bonanza, since this keeps saying it, a situation <laughs> or event that creates a sudden increase in wealth, good fortune, or profits, oh. or a large amount of something desirable. So, mm. a lot that's of what a bonanza stuff. is. Yep. Um, so fossil fuels and collective learning together uh, help to explain the complexity we see around us. Um. So then he jumps back, kind of since he went to the present, um, in 14 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, back at the convention center, or back at the microphones, back to your AirPods, or whatever you're listening mm-hmm. uh, with, we've been on a journey, a return journey of 13.7 billion years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope you agree this is a powerful story, he says. And a story in which humans play... An astonishing and creative role, but also contains warnings 
right? Collective learning is a very, very powerful force. Um, and it's not clear that we humans are in charge of it. Um, you know, he talks about when he was a child growing up in England, living through the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, seemed like for a few days, the entire biosphere seemed to be on the verge of destruction. Um, and he said the same weapons are still here. They're still armed. Um, and if we avoid that trap, there are others waiting for us. Uh, he talks about burning fossil fuels at such a rate that we um, seem to be undermining the Goldilocks conditions that made it possible for civilizations to flourish over 10,000 years. So what big history can do is show us the nature of complexity and fragility and the dangers that face us, but it can also show us um, our power with collective learning. Um, that if we use the language, the communication, the um, what we've honed as a as a human race, as a specific species, and use it for um, use it sort of remembering that we got here because of the creativity, the complexity, the um, the sort of communal way of taking that next step, then maybe we won't like annihilate ourselves. <laughs> In an energy bonanza. In an energy bonanza. <laughs> In a stupidity bonanza. <laughs> Is that an oxymoron? Or, um, yeah. How does that work? Yeah, so it has to be something desirable. <laughs> right, <laughs> By yeah. definition, a bonanza is a yeah, lot of something okay. you want. <laughs> yeah. Walked right into that. <laughs> so if you want stupidity, then you can have a stupidity bonanza. <laughs> There's a lot of stupidity here. Yeah. <laughs> also like middle school. <laughs> um, and he sort of ends uh, you know, on kind of like a little sentimental note that is he gonna is he gonna sing like uh, old lang syne or something <laughs> maybe we will next episode <laughs> um well yeah we'll rewrite the lyrics we'll do a little yeah. <laughs> a parody yeah should old spheres <laughs> i don't know i don't understand the words of that song actually i don't know what old uh it's german I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we should look it up. Yeah. Um, but he, he talks about his grandson. Uh, he shows a picture of his grandson, Daniel, who's probably now a teenager. Yeah. Um, he wants his uh, him and his friends and his generation throughout the world to know the story of big history. And know it so well that they understand the challenges that face us, but also the opportunities. Um, and so they have created this, um, and I, I think it's, even though this is 2011, I think it's still out there and functioning, a, uh, a free online syllabus in big history Okay. Um, for students throughout the world um, as an intellectual tool. Um, to help future generations face challenges, um, but also understand that challenges have been meeting, uh, you know, meeting these certain 
conditions with creativity and um, bending and swaying with the vulnerability and fragility um, for billions of years, basically. Um, and that there are, are wonderful opportunities and um, he does think we're kind of at a threshold moment for the beautiful planet and hopes it uh, hopes it all turns out okay obviously <laughs> mm-hmm. so that is the history of our world in 18 minutes <laughs> <laughs> TED talk guy who likes a good TED talk there you go yeah I think what I what I most liked about it was the sort of early on when he's talking about just the I I, I like the vulnerability aspect of um, how this complexity was created, mm-hmm. um, and that instead of seeing it as a weakness, it it sort of because it leans into all these other like social sciences like mental health, yeah. of like you know seeing your vulnerability, your fragility as a as a strength that there's something. Um, beautiful about that and oh yeah and as not and not as a weakness right mm-hmm. as uh and it's kind of the reason we're here in the first place is kind of what what he was yeah was getting at and how we don't have to be afraid of it and it can it can be a true gift and help us to connect with each other um and work together for good so and there was a lot of other stuff in there just sciencey stuff but i kind of took that away more as a, <laughs> a soft science guy. <laughs> I'm a TED Talk guy and a soft science guy. You like your science like you like your ice cream and your tacos. <laughs> soft. I like it. No, I like a hard shell. Oh, you do? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. all right. There I like the go. crunch. <laughs> but I yeah. do like soft serve ice cream. You like- You're right on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Jason. you have anything else on that one? Uh, it's, yeah. it's all... That's all we got right now. All right. Sounds good. Uh, We'll take a short break and we'll be right back to wrap up episode number 52 here on the Music of the Spheres podcast. We'll be right back. During the break, Jason and I were just discussing some of our our feeble attempts at working out. 
<laughs> strains our aging bodies today. Yeah. Moving ever more towards chaos. Yeah, one guy <laughs> I have not been is gym guy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. maybe in my future. Yeah. Well, you, you, but you, you know, do an awful lot of cycling. Of course, that gets harder and harder this time of year. Yeah. I, di- I did get my 2,000th mile. That's pretty good. Uh, earlier this week. Nice. Yeah. Can you translate those into hours towards your license? Can you trade them in? <laughs> I you know? thought about a lot of feelings and What's emotions on this bike. <laughs> What's the exchange rate? You get like, you know, a half, half an hour per every mile or something like that? Yeah. I like that. that sounds good. <laughs> get started off at a thousand there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh yeah it's tough this time of year though with cycling because yeah. you know the roads would get bad or there's plows out or yeah. you know places that you would be biking or covered up by snow banks or whatever so yeah i do have a bike now with um wider tires yeah that fat boy one of those <laughs> <laughs> is have we had this conversation before i don't know it's like that moment in seinfeld where they start talking about the that first button is in no man's land. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Yeah. That's true. Um, no, it's uh, like 40 millimeter yeah. tires. Oh, okay. So not not a fat boy. Not a mountain bike, but bigger than a, you know, a Tour de France oh, okay. tire. All right. So I could potentially like ride in some slushy stuff and yeah. not. So smaller than a mountain bike. Totally though. by the form. <laughs> just lease it like <laughs> lease it or like uh you know squat in a shed or something just gonna airbnb the farm <laughs> yeah right. i'm gonna test it out for a weekend yeah, see yeah. if i like it <laughs> uh all right well uh thank you for your presentation on the ted talk by what was the guy's name the doctor uh his is name he professor is, uh, he's uh the english dude He's a professor, so yeah, he's probably a doctor. Uh, David Christian. David Christian. And do you know what what is he? What is he? What um, is he? His main area of study is he? Is he a historian? Is he a uh, yeah? Let me physicist. Uh, let me look that up. Okay. Because yeah. I, I I think I mean I appreciated I appreciated kind of what he was. I think what he was attempting to do in the TED talk that you presented was to kind of present people with a right, like big picture idea of, you know, sort of how <clears throat> the world got to be how it is. And the, like, let's use that to inform us as we go forward as a people together, you know, and almost like an effort of kind of trying to, uh, I guess, invite people into an idea of understanding and accepting unity mm-hmm. ultimately you know when he started getting into the collective learning you know thing and that we're you know our we're doing all this all this learning together like it's it's its own kind of thing that we are all a part of in in that way i kind of appreciate um although there there were a few things that i either have questions about or maybe even a little pushback on uh from from what you know kind of where he was coming from yeah. that's kind of why i'm curious as to what you know what his role in in you know the academic world is because right. um, i was my uh my radar for materialism was was uh you know, <laughs> pinging every now and then you know with this particular right you know i was like is this guy is he a, you know is he a straight up materialist or is there something you know something more here he is a uh Historian and scholar of Russian history, 
Huh. Um, Russian history. Yeah. Uh, going to open up a can of cheer. His early research interests focused on the history of Russia and the Soviet Union. Um, emphases on the Russian peasantry. Huh. Um, including their diet and the role of vodka in their lives. <laughs> and he published several books on these subjects. Now that is fascinating. Because <laughs> um, we did that. One, remember, we did that one episode on, um, you know, how, how beer or, you know, alcoholic beverage in general. Right. Yeah. Created civilization. Right. With a theory that oh, it's yeah. like, it's not just that it lubricated civilization. It actually was the impetus to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. To, and not even like the theory in, in that particular episode was not even just that it was like it was an impetus to civilization so that people could like trade it and use it and have it. But it was because they were drinking alcohol, they were able to mm-hmm. be social enough <laughs> to make a civilization <laughs> was was actually, you know, he went like one one thing even further with it, you know, which. I thought was pretty neat. So yeah, that would be interesting to hear how vodka played a role in the lives of the Russian Russian peasantry of old. Yeah. um, He co-wrote a history about the Russian peasantry entitled Bread and Salt. Hmm. Um, How, among other things, how foods along with dairy products were used as seasonings. Um, but I guess in the eighties, he sort of, sort of, does it come with a few recipes you can <laughs> yeah, try in your own kitchen at yeah. home? <laughs> yeah. The original borscht belt. Um, yeah, I guess it was in the eighties when he, um, began sort of describing human history in the context of very large time scales. Sure. sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So to me, it's like my my overall response is going to be that it is it is a total like double edged sword to do so. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it can all at once be extremely positive mm-hmm. because it does invite a person to kind of step in and look at the the bigger picture, right? You know, and, and get it get an idea of kind of our place in the story. But it, but anytime that you do that, especially. In a setting like this, where it's a TED talk and you got to, you know, get it done in mm-hmm. eighteen minutes or whatever it is, yeah. you are you're forced into a reductionist, right. you know, um, I guess mindset where you really have to streamline it and tell the story as though, and and that's what and this what's what leads me to. So I just wanted to say that that's kind of my general right. response is like, okay, I get the idea. I think it's actually a good idea. Right. But I also feel like it's, I also feel like it, maybe not necessarily that he did that in this, right. But it mm-hmm. it could very easily lead someone, you know, presenting on this to turn it totally into a reductionist. Like here's a very simple streamlined timeline, right? you know, making broad sweeping, like this is what happened and then this happened and this happened and this led to that and led mm-hmm. to this led to that, right. Which sometimes true, but sometimes not Right, and oftentimes we find the more that people sort of apply true scientific method into ancient histories, they find that it was not exactly at all the way that you know the right. simple timeline said it was going to go. So this leads me to my first question. So the um, the whole idea of the you talked about the second law of thermodynamics, which mm-hmm. is the law of entropy. 
stating that in general, everything moves toward uh, entropy or chaos, right? So it's mm -hmm. towards the mush, right? Which is evident when you scramble an egg, you know? Mm -hmm. Try as you might, you cannot unscramble it, <laughs> you know? Like, you, there's no way to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you could, you could even, you know, you could invent a, you know, a machine that would, you know, separate all of the things, right, that are part of it. But there's mm -hmm. like certain elements of it that you can't get back together and then redo the shell. And then, you know, to take it one step further, get it back in the bird. There's, you know, like you can't, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's just uh, entropy it moves in that direction, right, mm -hmm. in our, in our con construct of, of our timeline. So my question was, and this is really just a question. It's not a pushback at all. It's was he saying though that? Uh, I, I think you said something about like uh, occasionally there can be complexity. So it's, it, is he saying like it moves in the opposite direction of that law? That something in the universe is moving in the opposite direction of the law of, of entropy, like. Right. You know, like essentially unscrambling an egg, right? Is he saying like the early universe was an unscram, you know, was a scrambled egg and what we're moving towards is, you know, unscrambling that. Yeah, I think he was, I think he was saying like if there was a, um, uh, if, there's enough like well i guess the word complexity kind of keeps coming to mind if there's yeah. enough like um we said if the conditions are right right you know then yeah. complexity could develop right so right. and then another layer of complexity of something upon that um which is which is really just an interesting philosophical argument one way or another mm -hmm. because my understanding of the law of entropy is that in order for the universe to have the complexity that it has now that we observe, you look around and yes, there are the, there is the periodic table of elements, the way that it works and the four laws of, of natural physics work in such a way to allow all those things to be created and to, to work themselves out. But and this is my understanding, and I think it comes from Stephen Hawking and his his work on the subject. And, I, and it's a quote in the um, the book on the turn shroud that I'm doing now. Mm. But the idea is that in order for it to even have the level of complexity that it has now, it had to start off in, in even more of an ordered state. Meaning that, right, he described the beginning of the universe, right? And he said that there was at one point, what was it, 380,000 years into the universe or something like that, where the cosmic microwave background radiation, right? And mm -hmm. there's these tiny differentiations in that background radiation. I think you said it's like, I don't know, some thousandths of a degree or something like that yeah, in temperature a thousandth change. of a degree cooler. Right, right. So that's he says just those fluctuations in it allowed mm -hmm. the forces to start acting yeah right because before that it was unenforced the forces were fully balanced nothing acted right so something had to like tip that scale almost right mm -hmm. to kind of push the universe to differentiate to have things you know 
to have gravity start because then he says well then gravity pulled clouds together and then clouds heated up and then Mm -hmm. you know now you have gravity and you know electromagnetics working together and then all you know on this atomic level you have the other two laws of the nuclear forces working together to Mm -hmm. create and and destroy you know atoms and stuff like but i think the argument goes that i believe this is from stephen hawking that in order for that to have happened the place that it began those 380,000 years ago had to be like this minute chance perfect order for it to even get to that stage mm-hmm. or else it would have just main just stayed diffuse and right. balanced right that it's like everything came together in such a way that it allowed for the complexity that we see now so mm-hmm. so the argument is actually cuz cuz that is the op, that's it's that's the trouble with the law of entropy is that we can both see it in one way and like totally see it working in the opposite way Mm -hmm. you know like computers what you know if everything moves towards chaos how do we have inventions of technology and create new things right right how do we how we have planes that fly in the sky how do we travel to the moon Mm -hmm. you know if everything moves towards chaos should everything should go and you know into just complete destruction right but it doesn't it it goes so in 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 one way we look around us and we say no it's not but then in another way we look around us and we say oh yeah my car is not gonna last forever especially here where there's salt on the roads all winter long and it just destroys the car from the outside Hmm. you know it's like my car is just gonna rot eventually and you know a garden left untended is just going to be overgrown with all kinds of vegetation and none of the fruits will be you know usable and you know like we see our bodies break down you know (laughs) like we were just talking about coming out of the break you know we're sore from doing different things it's like you know bodies break down and and so there is like yes we see the law of entropy in decay Mm -hmm. and and aging and things like that but then when we see advancement you know of things it doesn't look like it's happening but i think the overall like theory states that this is all chaos when mm. compared to the original order right right if you look like the universe had to start so incredibly ordered i i, I would ha- i'd have to grab my book to look up the quote but you know something like the chances of it if you were to put it in like odds format you know mm-hmm. would be like 10 and then they do like the you know the however many hundreds of zeros after it with the you know um exponent <laughs> to show you like how what the chances of the universe actually being able to become what it is now right so i think yeah i just i my my question was basically you know was he saying that the complexity is working against that or because it sounded like he was describing the early universe as the mush which i think according to actual actual physicists that study this stuff it was not mush it was like highly ordered and nearing perfection in order to be what it is now so that that was my question i don't know if i'm framing that well it's a long question sometimes i ask questions (laughs) for 20 minutes um yeah i mean i guess uh i guess what he says just going back is uh in a universe ruled by that second law of thermodynamics how is it possible to generate 
complexity, mm-hmm. kind of assuming everything yeah. moves in chaos. Right, right, right. How do yeah. you know? How do we generate complexity and advancement? Like mm-hmm. what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, and I guess his answer is kind of what he then describes in the talk is that you can create complexity, but with great difficulty. Right. So I mean. That's kind of a vague yeah. answer. The more, yeah. you, <laughs> the more you, right, 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 look into it, right. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff. Every, basically, everything we do or that creation has happened in creation has been with great difficulty. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's kind of a, um, a slippery little phrase. But it is. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, and then he he had another one. Um, where uh, maybe you can find his exact quote. I, I, he uses the term quite magical that energy just coalesced into matter. <laughs> Did you see oh, that? Yeah. I don't know if what, what well, is. here, yeah, each stage is magical. He, I think this is before he said that, but each stage is magical because it creates the impression of something utterly new, mm-hmm. um, appearing almost out of nowhere, right? Yeah, I know he says it magical later too oh uh energy does something else quite magical it congeals to form matter congeals oh congeal was the word right right which is kind of cool so energy right like we've been talking about the the whole frozen light idea Uh you know energy congealing into um into matter which is such a neat you know to me that's such a neat thing the idea of uh energy getting trapped in a local localized state Mm -hmm. to then where it transfers itself somehow into matter. And I think that's, I think that's where like Andrew Silverman in the Shroud of Turin book is arguing that that's, that's a actual direct result of the conscious mind influencing that to be Mm -hmm. right. And so then it happens, right. And the conscious collective mind, right. All, beings that are the in the unity then would will that that would happen and then therefore the energy slows down and to that and so maybe that links in with the idea of that sort of absolute almost perfection of the early universe according to the law of thermodynamics the second law of thermodynamics Mm -hmm. law of entropy that would you know it's that like perfect almost perfect state that is very similar to that idea of the unity uh the you know the eternal unity or whatever that andrew silverman is talking about and so i just thought it was neat because he mentioned that i was like oh that sounds very familiar this uh, mm-hmm. it was quite magical that it happened <laughs> and i love it. he's like yeah it's quite magical you know I, I i want you to understand my history timeline but i'm just gonna say it's like it was pretty magical when that thing happened it was, boom <laughs> look at that one this popped out of there and that came over here and it's like <laughs> You know, so I thought that was kind of, uh, kind of, you know, not only interesting the phraseology that he chose, but uh-huh. I thought it was it was a direct link to something else that we we'd heard. Right. Yeah, I mean, he was going back to his days of studying peasants and how they made vodka and <laughs> and uh, you know got past all the the terrible things yeah. uh, through there their magical drink <laughs> yes yes it's magic well i mean that's the first thing that everybody thinks is like "Ooh, this stuff is magical you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um all right so then the uh the next thing that i um started thinking as you were going through it is 
um, so as, as he's describing all these different stages of things that have happened, um, if we're assuming the, the four, uh, laws of nature, the four physical laws of nature to be unchanging, that they are, that they have been since the big bang, the same as they are now. Um, <clears throat> then we would, we would understand then that this state that we are in now versus 13.7 billion years ago at the big bang is really just a natural potentiality of those laws, right? Cause if those four laws govern, mm -hmm. you know, everything, if, if gravity never was different, right. Uh, or always maybe, maybe different measurably, right. But always behaved the same way, had the same effect on, you know, on matter and energy or whatever that it does. Uh, if, if, if gravity was always the same and electromagnetism was always the same, if all those laws were the same, then what we have now is just the potential. So it's actually not, do you get what I'm saying? It's like, it's not a, it's not a development necessarily, mm -hmm. right? It's like a, when you, you knowingly plant a seed in a garden and you know that it is a tomato seed and then it grows and, you know, a green shoot pops out of the ground, you don't think, whoa, that's something totally new. You think that's the beginning of a tomato and you're already thinking in your head, I'm going to have a tomato sandwich or I'm going to make tomato soup or I'm going to make sauce or, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to put these on a salad or you already think it. And then eventually it grows and it gets taller. Right. And now it's got multiple leaves and you don't think of it as something new. You think of it as continuing development of something that's already, mm -hmm. you know, expected. Then you look and you say, all right, well now it's going to grow a, a little flower, you know, tomato flowers are usually yellow right and oh that's not new it's just part of and then eventually the fruit comes and it's green at first but then it turns red and then you have tomato to eat right mm -hmm. um that is all a growth and development and it's all based on the potentiality that's in that seed right and knowing you know what we know from you know from the past like you look all right, well, I know how tomato seeds work and we study them scientifically or you just observe it over a few seasons, you know how this works. It's not necessarily anything new and it's not necessarily new complexities mm -hmm. actually at all. Um, it's just the growth and development of, it's something coming to full potential, mm -hmm. right? And so as, as you're talking about that, it, is any of this actually complexity? Right? Are we really seeing complexity? Right? He says like something new, seemingly out of nothing. He's he kind of hedged that a little bit, right? He said seemingly mm -hmm. out of nothing. It's, he doesn't think it's out of nothing, right? He thinks like, yeah, this was always going to happen. Right. You know, like the universe always had the potentiality mm -hmm. based on the laws that govern it for a star to form, and then it, you know, because of a star forming, then it had the potentiality to create more than just the simple elements that were present at the beginning of the universe. Mm -hmm. And because of those extra elements, now it has the potential for, you know, forming planets out of, you know, with other kinds of elements on them and then chemistry developing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, you know, it's, it's almost like the big bang is this, is the seed and the, you know, the thermo or the, not the thermodynamics, the four natural laws, the four natural physical laws mm -hmm. are the DNA of the universe. It just tells it how to operate. And then everything else is just that potentiality. Yeah, it's coming. like, uh, I mean, it's like potential being 
revealed like you mm-hmm. know a, a billion years ago um you know if, i mean if humans were around we would have only known the the beginning of that potential mm-hmm. right or you know right we further along the the yeah spectrum of potential i guess right not, maybe not a spectrum but the path of yeah potential the path of potential which is the the arrow of time right which which right. we talked about with the trout of turn book is the the arrow of time is just that it's the arrow of time really just describes h- how we observe events in accordance with the law of entropy you know we mm-hmm. Like we, we were, like when we talked about that in the Shroud of Turn book, you can tell an old house versus a new house because one has one is more chaotic; it's mm-hmm. decayed more, right? Yeah. Um, or you can tell it was old, but it's been really well taken care of, you know, because people mm-hmm. have fixed it up a lot. But you can still tell, you know, that difference, right? You know, and because of the law of entropy, and so the arrow of time is what that really is, mm-hmm. which is why I, you know, more and more I think, you know, past and future are really just constructs of our conscious mind trying to describe what we witness with the law of entropy. It's really what I think it is. Hmm. You know, I, we have past events, but the interesting thing about past events, right, is that we can know, we can only know some of it. We can't know all of mm-hmm. what happened in past events, we can observe certain certain things and make very good inferences right. and, and even prove things. But then we're also making a lot of assumptions with that most mm-hmm. of the time. We're assuming, again, that all of these laws are the same throughout all of you know history. Like, the, yeah. Really, were the, the four laws of natural physics exactly the same at the moment of the Big Bang or not? Do they come into existence at that moment or not? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Right. So we, can you know that? You can't say 100% certainty. Yeah. All these laws have always been exactly the same. We haven't observed them, quote unquote, changing. Mm-hmm. But that's just what we've observed in the time we've been observing it, right? So I don't right. know. It's interesting, this idea of the arrow of time and how that connects to all of this. Because I tend to think based on... And again, this is my non-materialistic worldview that mm-hmm. the matter, yes, matter matters, right? Like our matter and our, you know, sort of uh, nuts and bolts, you mm-hmm. know, skin and bones lives matter. Yes. But at the same time, I think there's this whole other realm and plane of existence where our consciousness is mm-hmm. that is not dependent upon this at all. And that this is a in some ways could be described as a lesser state. And if that's the case, then it would be, it would make sense that in that space, time doesn't exist. There isn't not a, there's not a time. There's not an arrow of time when there's no place where there's decay. There's no place where there's entropy. You can't, then you can't have an arrow of time. So now there's not a, there's not a beginning and an end and there's yeah. not a decay and there's not a growth or complexity or a, a death path. or chaos. Yeah. Right. And so it's just, it just is, it just is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, even in the Bible, God, you know, what, what does God say? I am that I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I just am. I'm not right. was and will be. I'm not 
you know, going to become this or going to go do that or Mm -hmm. I'm getting there, you know, it's like I am that I am. It's just, it's just an unchanging state, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And, and so if that's the case, then, then looking at the big picture of history, right, is like really what we're looking at is an unfolding of something that's already there. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, like a tomato plant that just hasn't borne its fruit yet. Yeah. You know, in, in our observation. Right. Right. So it's like, that's, that's why this is a neat topic in that way, because I think it, it really kind of pushes that question of what are we really observing here? Are we really observing the, you know, that stuff kind of stacking on itself and where's it going to go next? Or is, mm-hmm. you know, in this place, there's the potentiality given by the structure of it. Right. And it's just going to grow into whatever yeah. the potentiality is. The word, uh, the word wisdom kind of like in this, um, discussion kind of keeps coming to mind. Cause it's something I've said, I don't know. I, mu- I probably heard it like in seminary or something like, we only know the beginning of God's wisdom, mm-hmm. right? And that kind of puts me at peace knowing, like, I'm not going to figure it all out. Right. Right? It's like, I know there's a potentiality or, like, of a, a yeah. gaining more knowledge or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the fact that I can never get to the end of it is right. kind of, like, is comforting <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Of just, like, knowing there's, um, that God's wisdom is just, like, I am that I am. It kind of feels like... God's wisdom mm-hmm. and we don't understand a, a phrase like that really right we want to yeah we want to find its beginning and its end right right where we are yeah with it yeah um and then we, we you know think about like entropy and like human bodies um but as you get older there's wisdom right mm-hmm. that that seems like the opposite of chaos or um you know that that second yeah uh, um whatever the word is um and same with like you're you're talking about a house like holding uh like holding memories like Mm -hmm. the wisdom of a space maybe we talked about a little bit yeah 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 there was a couple episodes episodes ago yeah um 48 i believe was yeah just like those kind of things not only pushing against chaos or entropy but but also kind of getting to the point that um, there's just wisdom that's there that is kind of like timeless or doesn't have a path mm-hmm. that we would like see yeah. as or right. at least linear. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's comforting, I think, just to like dwell in the idea that it's there. Yeah. I mean, it's floating or hovering or... yeah not doing any of those things right um but it's there right yeah yeah and and so that phrase <coughs> you said we only know the beginning of god's wisdom is the phrase right and i don't even know what the beginning of it is <coughs> i mean right. i guess like the things that are written down that's in the, the bible right that's the it's thing like, right it's like okay jesus beginning. sending you know, sending Jesus like this right, holiday right. we're about to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. That's like it's a little bit of God's wisdom, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, that, I mean, that, that's assuming that God's, you know, again, God's wisdom is is somehow linear, right? That, that For it to have a beginning for us to understand, you know. Oh, beginning more of like, that's how we can enter it. 
I oh, guess. okay. Yeah. More of like an entrance to right. the wisdom. And that's kind of where I was going. It was like, I, I would rephrase that in, in a way to say something like, we only know the piece of God's wisdom that we can interact with right. in this sphere. Yeah. You know, like from here where we're at, there's only, mm-hmm. there's something of a veil. Right. You know, that we can't interact with the, the other part of it. Yeah, another yeah, better way of saying it is yeah. like we only know a little of yeah. God's wisdom. Maybe right. not the beginning. Don't, yeah, yeah. don't stick it together with time. Right, right, right. Don't yeah, don't make it don't make it temporal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also like I think you know, there there is that there is a path for understanding more deeply mm-hmm. that wisdom. Right. Right. That I don't think I and mean, that's what I think, you know, what a lot of our subjects end up kind of being about is that there is this greater wisdom mm-hmm. and that there is access to it, that it's not necessarily veiled. It's The veil is just, it's just a construct that most likely we probably put there ourselves or, mm-hmm. or we subconsciously do, right? To say, oh, I can't, I can't understand that or I can't get there, you know? And even just, you know, closing closing your eyes uh, in short meditation. You, mm-hmm. you know, even just for a couple of minutes, not like a full meditation session or something, but just to and seeing where what you can see in that time yeah. and space. You know, it's like you get outside of that. You know, I've taken to doing that like while we're in prayer at church. You know, really like just really closing my eyes, not like closing my eyes and just like still envisioning myself in church and doing the stuff I'm doing. That's even more difficult as the person in charge. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Of that particular. Yeah. 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 No, I really will try to, you know, sort of get into that space, but then you can, cause I think you can see, I think there are parts of it that you can see through the veil, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. you eventually are realizing that you're invited to go, to go beyond the veil, you know, you're invited to to see beyond that. And and Mm -hmm. it's more a matter of getting yourself out of the way. Uh, which I mean, that's getting more into a, you know, sort of the philosophical idea. But I kind of wanted to stick to what he was saying. With um, there were a couple of things that um, it sounded like, and maybe you can correct me, but it sounded like he was saying that that DNA f- formed right and then became like a primary causative agent because he said that the DNA's learning was too slow. It wanted to speed up its learning, so it created organisms with brains, right? Did he say something like that? I think yeah, he said something, something like that. I don't, I don't yeah. know if my computer. I just, I, mean, I just wonder how how did you how did you understand that? I mean, you watched the video, and you're you know, so you you were more of a primary uh, interactor with this source than <laughs> than I. I'm just hearing you know what you, what you were right. sharing, like along with our listeners, which is cool. That's why we do the show the way we do it, but. I just wonder how you how you understood that. Like, was it because what what it sounded like to me was then it then it was like okay, he's almost placing. He clearly didn't ever say anything about consciousness in here. You know, like conscious beings. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't he didn't say anything at least in in what you shared. He didn't say anything like, all right, uh, DNA created brains, which then was able to spark this sense of consciousness that, that living beings have, you know, of, mm-hmm. of being existing, observing beings. Right. Um, so he didn't say anything about that. 
so is he just saying that a human being is just a tool <laughs> used by DNA? Like, you know, kind of like, you know how we had, the, when you were doing the whole fungus series, right? And, and we were talking about how, you know, it's possible that like, you know, fungus is so responsible for mm-hmm. how humans behave that maybe it's like it made us kind of in many ways, like right. who yeah, we yeah. Wa- and what we are. Is he just describing that same kind of a characteristic to DNA? Is he saying like DNA just made these humans to process its information faster with its brains, but then the brains died. So we must make them communicate with one another. And now the humans are talking. And then, cause it sounds like now it sounds like we're AI, like, right. <laughs> like DNA is like the, you know, we're like the the AI of DNA. <laughs> it's like, which I don't know. Maybe we are, and the DNA tricked us into thinking we're conscious, self acting, self driving beings. But maybe right. we're just being run by. I mean, we are pretty much run by our DNA most of the time. <laughs> but I just thought that was interesting. It was like he just kind of glossed over that. I'm like, wait a second, dude. You you kind of just said that dna made the brains you know because it needed to do something that it's that's that's what i heard anyway so i thought that was kind of a big deal it's like that was kind of you said a big thing buddy you should you know expand upon that i know it's a ted talk he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't go on for two and a half hours like we do right now yeah i mean i am curious like because they um you know when they described his um like 15 week semester yeah doing this is probably uh um, that's kind of the, the good and the bad of Ted talks, or I mean, mm-hmm. even like, a even a sermon, that's something similar mm-hmm. in time, 20, 25 minute. Yeah. 38, um, 40 sometimes <laughs> right. when I'm preaching, yeah. <laughs> everybody um, picks on me about that. I don't really, I, I don't know. Uh, I always look at my clock when we're done with worship and it's like 1115. Yeah. Sometimes it's 1120, like on a communion week, uh-huh. we start five minutes late. That's a 65, 70 minute service. I mean, come on. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it may be, it's, it's hard to, uh, I'm clearly not sensitive about it at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something you should talk to with your therapist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, if only a new one without a permit. But kind of like, yeah, right. I know. I think I have to like put that like, are you okay with yeah. me not being fully licensed? Yeah, yeah. I just have my learner's permit. <laughs> Gonna it's okay. To... We can't do this after dark. Yeah. You're going to want to sleep. <laughs> I'm going to advise that you get some rest. <laughs> and so I'm going to need you to help me parallel park. Can you get out of the car? <laughs> <Yeah>. and... okay. <laughs> uh, remind me not to touch the radio dial <laughs> when I'm driving. Um, but I mean, it gets to the point too of like um, with anything like that, a uh, sermon or a TED talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like so he's got this whole whole like syllabus and semester right and you know preachers have sermon series and whole seasons that they want people to hear the whole thing right um right and so i guess maybe um wrongly as as presenters of of thought and information as like you know preachers um mm-hmm. maybe assuming that people will come with like a curiosity yeah. <laughs> and like hear the one the 20 30 minute right thing, and then lead into something else and then like remain curious that there's more to it or that 
mm-hmm. we're just trying to get you to yeah start thinking yeah and then take it you know take it yourself and see what happens yeah um so i mean i i think there's a little bit of that going on because he it was a ted talk which i'm also seeing was uh he was invited by bill gates oh yeah <laughs> of all people to do this like i i didn't know uh yeah i didn't know that now you're getting in the weeds there now yeah right yeah now we're gonna get a lot of downloads <laughs> <laughs> yeah just put yeah put bill gates on. conspiracies and all this <laughs> shit. uh Okay, so then the the last, I guess the kind of the last thing that I wanted to say because I I do I do agree like with what he's trying to do is you know kind of this mm-hmm. step back and get a bigger picture you know and um I also think you know there's a tendency of human beings to kind of look at the world around us and be like this is the most chaotic it's ever been you know Mm -hmm. like let's we got to save ourselves now or else nothing will ever you know but then you look even through what he described i mean how many calamities did he talk about you know that that happened Mm -hmm. you know humans like you know the the, it's there is vulnerability but then there's also like an incredible resilience uh to to life as you look across Mm -hmm. you know um the span of history uh, so I, I kind of can see where he's going with that. Like you want to mm-hmm. sort of this call to like, you know, let's be more mindful about things or whatever. Um, but I think, so I, so I appreciate that aspect of, of like looking at the big right. picture because I think there is a lot to learn from the big mm-hmm. picture. But I think that when you look at the big picture and try to create a simple timeline mm-hmm. that you can teach quickly in a syllabus you know of 15 even if it's 15 weeks it's still pretty short mm-hmm. you know to learn the history of the entire cosmos right yeah. and and also in that comes trimming a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. so the couple things that i would you know um you know one of the things i would push back on is he, he mentioned at some point that out of africa you know that human beings you know mm-hmm. progressed out of africa there's a lot of evidence that's being in in many cases is kind of squashed by mainstream uh, archaeology mm-hmm. you know that, the, that that's also part of his background mainstream archaeology well archaeology yeah archaeology well yeah and and it, you know it just depends right it's like who who in archaeology is are in the positions where mm-hmm. they get the grants and who is working for the universities and has right. you know big fat paychecks and are, you know, it's really important that they keep saying the same story, right? So mm-hmm. what will happen a lot of times in archaeology, you know, is they'll find something. They'll find, a, you know, a, a body, like an ancient collection of bones from, a, from an early species of human that's not supposed to be where it is and not supposed to be in the timeline that it is. Mm-hmm. And instead of just being like, okay, well, let's incorporate this data in. We clearly don't have the whole picture. Let's add this in. They'll say, oh, that must, you know, that can't be right. That must have been a false or a, a hoax or it got moved or somebody did something wrong because it doesn't fit with the timeline, right? They won't mm-hmm. like so much in, in ancient archaeology in the mainstream view, they're very you know, they're very against allowing new data to change the timeline. So you get stories like, and then humans came, just came out of Africa. <laughs> it's like, but there's, there's evidence of early humans all over the globe at mm-hmm. different times. Right. So the story is infinite, infinitely more complex right. than what often is told when somebody gives one of those like, you know, bullet point 
super condensed timeline. Oh, and mm-hmm. then this happened, and then this happened. Um, so I think I think it's a positive thing to go and say, let's look at the big picture. But mm-hmm. I think if you do that, you actually have to take all the data and say, let's bring all of this stuff in. Right. And say, let's look at all of these, you know. Because what I think really what he's trying to get at there, you know, is like uh, the dinosaurs got themselves extinct. Well, they didn't get themselves extinct, but they they were extinctified, you know, by the the thing that hit the Yucatan Peninsula, you know, right, yeah, the Chicxulub yeah. uh, crater, yep. the asteroid or whatever that hit that crater. They, you know, they were made extinct. So it, it can happen to any species that we may see. But mm-hmm. if we look around the globe, there's all kinds of ancient sites, which we'll we'll get into this stuff, you know, it's mm-hmm. things that are on our list of stuff we want to talk about on the show, you know, like Easter Island, the Moai that were on Easter Island, and obviously things like the pyramids and, you know, mm-hmm. ancient civilizations that happened in South America, um, and some of the ancient ruins that are there, and, um, you know, the stuff in Lebanon, and, like, there's just so many different ancient, um, Stonehenge, there's so many, like, all mm-hmm. this stuff that, we've, we've talked a little bit about Stonehenge on the show, right? but there's just so much of saying, like, other humans have been here, you know, or human-like humans have been here doing stuff, you know, for a, maybe maybe a lot longer than than we know or than we mm-hmm. think, right? And maybe there's a story to be learned there. So yes, I I say yes to big history, you know, like yeah. definitely, but I say no to reduction of of that story, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of that's kind of my right. big like take away from it and that's why i think people should um you know approach hearing something like this like you're doing with um you know with a with a clarity of thought with like a Mm -hmm. curiosity with a um almost a like a helpful ambivalence where there's like, well, I can see it. Yeah. You know, that way, but like, let's talk about this. I mean, is this like, um, and it's hard to tell too, when it's seems like a throwaway line that evolving out of Africa. Cause then he's like, but then you see humans doing all these mm-hmm. migrating and all this learning to live in, different environments so it's like i don't know exactly what you're saying like right what he's trying to say yeah like yeah is that just a throwaway line because you're talking in front of a bunch of people would you have written that in a book right right um but just coming with a you know a, mm-hmm. like a um i guess a critical eye mm-hmm. critical ear yeah um and thinking for yourself <laughs> right <laughs> yeah while yeah. also acknowledging that there's um there's learning to be done together exactly and that's the beauty of Mm non-materialism you know you can call it whatever you want but i think non-materialism is actually good because you know you could say like spiritualism or you Mm -hmm. know faith or whatever but those are like charged words so just non-materialist is good (laughs) but by being non-materialist what you do is you understand the the realist part Mm mm-hmm of me is that conscious me-ness, right? Which people in religious traditions would call a soul, you know? But everybody, I would think, would say they're conscious, right? And so 
consciousness is something that we can share, you mm-hmm. know, and say, yes, your conscious consciousness, your observerness, right? Yeah. That that you that can think about yourself thinking, you know, that's yeah, that's the part of you that can get behind your eyes and your brain, you know, that that part of you, to me, is connective. So even if there's somebody that I don't agree with 100% of what they're saying, I realize I'm still connected to that person. Mm-hmm. And so then I can say, all right, well, yeah, I, I can find the stuff that I really appreciate. And then I can have the questions that I have, you know, and say, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's talk more about that. And that's really what the, you know, what we're trying to do on the podcast anyway is, you know, have those kinds of conversations, right. you know, yeah. and this was really fascinating because it's, you know, sparked a lot of things that I, I want to like keep talking about, you know, mm-hmm. especially like, and you know, the things like I wrote about a whole bunch of other stuff too, you know, like, um, we didn't talk about the moon where that that came from and how that, you know, oh, right, like yeah. the specific, but there's right. like, there's little things in the details that are really important, you know, yeah. like the moon would have been in a 38 minute sermon. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, this episode is quickly becoming like one of my sermons. Cause I'm, <laughs> cause you let me talk. <laughs> You're like, I had a nice neat segment. It was great. And then you come in here and, and ramble for 47 minutes in your segment. I don't think yeah. anyone would say it's rambling. Aw, thanks. Jay. Well, no, I mean, it's not like you, I mean, you were making clear points yeah. and it's not, I mean, people aren't listening right now and being like, man, that was, that was a ramble. I'm never going to get those 45 minutes That was back. a ramble bonanza right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, no, bonanza is something that's good that was desirous and we're desirous of. Maybe people desire a ramble. Some people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you're a rambling man, a rambling guy, like a ten. I was guy. born a rambling man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. That was, uh, yeah, episode number 52, an interesting talk on big history. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason, for bringing some good discussion material. It's fun. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is, because, I mean, I've only only watched that a, like a couple times, like back when it was more newly out i guess mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now more recently so yeah it's kind of cool to see um how my own thoughts around things evolve and yeah how i'm maybe <laughs> maybe growing or or maybe just interact interacting differently with mm-hmm. my well with my thoughts but also with my surroundings yeah so you're just becoming more your full potential Yep, that's a path. There's certainly, <laughs> there's certainly potential. <laughs> You're gonna be such a good tomato. <laughs> ah, don't I need all? I need like all those good things though too, like uh, yeah. rain and sunlight. Yeah, but not, not too much. Not too of much. Those things. Can't have too much of any of them. <laughs> Gotta yeah. find my my Goldilocks. Your Goldilocks a garden bed seed. <laughs> to be a tomato in. <laughs> awesome all right well thank you jay that was fun um and uh it was fun drinking some holiday cheer with you the shiner holiday cheer Mm. um yeah we wish everybody a merry christmas a happy new year or merry happy any other holidays that you celebrate and um yeah reach out to the show through the social medias uh we're on facebook and instagram Head over to our website, musicofthespherespodcast.com, and send us an email, brothers at musicofthespherespodcast.com. Make sure you share this show with your friends. Let people know they should be listening and uh, writing us emails and uh, interacting on social media. And send pictures of your pets dressed up for the holidays. 
holding their favorite yellow beer. Yeah. Whatever your whatever your pet's favorite whatever yellow beer is. And whatever holiday is your pet's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. They could be dressing up like a we turkey do this right for, now. We should do this for every holiday. <laughs> we should do this like Valentine's Day and... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Labor Day. Well, how do you dress up for Labor Day? You know, what do you wear? Uh, you put your cat in sweatpants. <laughs> I'm resting today. I'm going to lounge around the house. That's great. <laughs> cat in PJs. That's <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing those pictures. Um, from the... Uh, Deepest parts of our beings, we thank you for being a part of our universe here at the Music of the Spheres podcast. Have a great week. Husky pants. <laughs> That's what you want to be called. Is that the brand name or just the general description? <laughs> that was the description of the pants. Therefore, shorts, stocky, no, no legged. I don't know. I was like a garden gnome or something. Uh, just, you know, whistling my way down the middle school hallway. Uh, so my, my little brother, the garden gnome. Yeah. Well, I wore husky pants.